This is Brianna and Kelly from Murder Dictionary Podcast. We go from A to Z, exploring different topics or motives each week. We've covered axe murder, killer kids, necrophilia, and occult murders. Murder Dictionary gives tons of facts and details, balanced out with humor. If you want a true crime and chill, or test your trivia knowledge with our serial killer games, or if you like lesser-known cases you may not have heard before, check out Murder Dictionary Podcast. Hi, this is Jillian, and you are listening to Court Junkie, episode 36. Today's case is about a man who went from being on a billboard, hailed as father and husband of the year in 1998, to facing charges of murder and attempted murder just a few short years later. There are many interesting legal issues that come up in this case, one of them in the form of waiving your attorney-client privilege and the problems that can present. It was Monday, June 12, 2006, and 45-year-old Darren Mack was enraged. He had been embroiled in a very long and contentious divorce and custody battle with his estranged wife, Charla Mack. And just a year earlier, the judge in the case, Judge Chuck Weller, had ruled that Darren would have to pay almost a million dollars plus $10,000 a month to Charla over the next five years. Darren was so enraged, in fact, that he spoke out about it publicly in an interview that was later posted to YouTube. People that have never experienced this is, it, it sounds almost like you're, you're trying to tell a story about how Martians have landed because it sounds so unbelievable unless you've actually been in it or been around his courtroom. But on the in, if you check on the internet, there's many, many, many like myself, that have been fallen prey to his tyranny and his abuse uh, in his courtroom. And what people count on, these people that do this, and I found out that it's not, you know, it's not uncommon throughout the United States, this is not isolated, just Chuck Weller has kind of taken the lead in it and is probably the most talked about judge on the internet. Um, it really, their whole thing is to keep you quiet. This will probably cost me my daughter coming forward. It'll probably cost me jail time. It'll probably cost me... I can't even speak of what the cost will be from the retaliation that I'll get from the court system of of Chuck Weller. And now, Darren was sitting in a silver Ford Explorer in the parking garage across the street from Mills B. Lane Justice Center in downtown Reno, Nevada, a loaded, high-powered rifle in his hand. He had methodically backed the Explorer into a parking spot on the fifth floor and was perfectly aligned with Judge Weller's chambers at the Justice Center. He rolled down the rear window and pointed his gun. He set the gun's sight on Judge Weller, who he could see was in the chambers with his assistant. He pulled the trigger, rolled the window back up, and quickly exited the parking garage. Sirens blared in the background as he drove away. The 911 call came in at 11.06 a.m. Reno 911, you need police fire or medical? Hey, this is Officer Jones, Reno PD. Hey, 
I think there was a, a gunshot from the uh, parking garage. I think there's going to be a sniper just north of the family court uh, building. Chuck Weller, the 53-year-old judge, had sustained a single gunshot wound to the chest. And it didn't take police long, as they looked out the broken window of the judge's chambers, to figure out that it had come from the parking garage across the street. I'm in the room where the judge is actually shot. Uh, the trajectory looks like it could be one uh, that uh, parking garage at first in Sierra, how that would be consistent with the construction worker who said he heard the shot go kind of over his head. They were dealing with the sniper. Judge Weller was rushed to the Washoe Medical Center in critical condition. His assistant had suffered superficial wounds from the bullet fragments. A review of the surveillance footage from the parking garage showed a silver Ford Explorer pulling in at 10.46 a.m. It then drove up to the fifth floor, where it remained until the shot was fired. It was then seen exiting the garage at 11.05 a.m. Minutes after the shooting of Judge Weller, Reno police got a tip, which would be their first clue that the presumed madman who had shot the judge had been involved in another atrocious act just hours earlier. A man named Dan Osborne went to the police department and told officers that he had been at his friend Darren Mack's condo earlier that morning at about 9 a.m. Darren had asked him to pick up his eight-year-old daughter, Erica, and take her to his grandmother's house. So Dan and his dog went over there, but Erica wasn't there yet. Darren was waiting for her mother, his estranged wife, Charla, to drop her off. When Charla and Erica arrived, Darren asked Dan to take Erica upstairs while he talked to Charla. But minutes later, Dan said he could hear his dog frantically barking downstairs, and so he went down to check on him. He ran into Darren, who was coming in from the garage. Dan told police that Darren brushed past him, his hand wrapped in a towel, and that he had a, quote, weird look on his face. Dan's dog then came in from the garage and was covered in blood. He said he took Erica and left the home. Minutes later, Darren called him and told him to meet him at Starbucks, and so he did. He said that Darren pulled the little girl aside and spoke to her for a few minutes before taking off. Dan told police he was concerned that Darren may have done something to Charla. Police officers then rushed over to Darren's condo. They saw three drops of blood in the driveway near the garage door, which was closed. And inside the garage, they found the deceased body of 39-year-old Charla Mack. Charla was lying on the floor of the garage, curled up in the fetal position, dead from at least seven stab wounds. Officers searched through Darren's condo and found what looked like a to-do list in his kitchen. Among the items on the list were end problem, parking garage if yes, and attorney office. They also found a list of weapons and a rental contract for a Ford Explorer. Police quickly realized that the suspect they were looking for in the shooting of Judge Weller was the same suspect they would be looking for in the murder of Charla Mack. It was clear that Darren Mack had stabbed his estranged wife to death and then shot the judge presiding over their divorce case. 
And now he was on the run. Back at the Washoe Medical Center, Judge Weller's condition was upgraded. He was going to survive. Detectives questioned him in his hospital room, and when they asked who he thought might want to kill him, he immediately gave them a name, although he got it slightly wrong. Daryl Mack, he said. He told them that a couple months earlier, someone had told him that there was a father's rights group called Nevadans for Equal Parenting, and that their ire was directed at him. He said the group wrote insulting remarks about him online, alleging that he was unfair, corrupt, and biased, and even compared him to Hitler. He said one of the members told him that Darren was behind it. He also recalled to detectives a look that Darren had given him the month prior, in May, during the couple's final settlement hearing. He said that after he had made his ruling, Darren glared at him. Judge Weller called it a, quote, look of death. Detectives continued their investigation into Darren Mack and discovered that in that final hearing in May, Charla had told the court that she was afraid of Darren and afraid to give him her physical address. About the address. Can I just yes, ma'am. So first of all, I feel that our daughter should be in her father's life and I have volunteered to drive her at this point since I've moved. So I've been doing most of the driving so it has been an inconvenience for him. But, um, you know, he's hired PI to try to date me through Match.com and other things with it. And he's testified to that. He has hired prior investigators, okay? And um, in the old house, he refused to let the alarm company take his name off when I had concerns about him coming into the house. So that if I called and said he was in the house, um, Bergarella wasn't allowed to do that, so I had to hire ABT to come in and change the alarm systems. And there's just been things. And I have a commitment that he knows where she lives when the divorce is over, but he gets so angry and so ripped up that I just don't feel comfortable right now knowing personally where I live. And it's not about Erica, it's really about me. And I just would like to wait until the whole thing is resolved. At the end of the hearing, Charla finally agreed to disclose her address to Darren on the record after Judge Weller said that neither party was to be within 100 yards of each other, except during custody exchanges. Judge Weller remained under guard at the hospital while investigators started their search for Darren Mack. At 2.30 p.m., a corporate credit card in Darren's name was used at a parking garage at the Sacramento International Airport. A federal warrant was issued for Darren's arrest, and since he was now believed to have left the area the FBI added him to their most wanted list. He was described as a bodybuilder and hunter with access to all types of weapons. It was noted that he should be considered armed and dangerous. But just eight years prior, in 1998, if you had been driving around in Reno, Nevada, you likely would have noticed a large billboard with a photo of Darren Mack on it and the words, The Mack family presents Darren Mack, 1998 Father-slash-Husband of the Year, a unanimous decision by his wife, Charla, and his three wonderful children. So what went wrong from that billboard to Darren murdering Charla and attempting to murder Judge Weller? Darren Mack was the oldest son of a very wealthy and prominent family. For years, the Mack family owned the largest pawn shop in Reno, 
When Darren's father died in a plane crash in 1986, he became the owner of the pawn shop and was said to be worth almost $10 million. Darren also got married that same year, in 1986, to a woman named Debbie Ashlock. They had a son and a daughter, but eventually divorced. In May 1995, Darren married Charla Samsel, a former actress who had been in the movies Poison Ivy and Heaven. Two years later, Charla gave birth to their daughter, Erica. But two months before their 10-year anniversary, in February 2005, Charla filed for divorce. And a month later, Darren counterfiled. The couple was in disagreement over their property, finances, and their daughter, Erica. And after that last settlement hearing in May 2006, it appeared as though Darren had decided to take matters into his own hands with murder. And so the manhunt for Darren Mack was on. Darren's cousin, Jeff Donner, spoke to reporters and told them that Darren had called him just four minutes after the shooting of Judge Weller. He said Darren told him, if anything happens to me, don't forget your promise. Put out to the press the word on Judge Weller. The rest of the world has to know just how oppressive he is. Jeff said that before he could ask him anything, Darren told him he had to go. Jeff told reporters that Darren was, quote, the kindest, gentlest, nonviolent person you would ever want to meet. He added, he's a loving father, a good man. Obviously, if he's responsible for this, and there's every indication that he is, you're looking at a man of the finest character who was made to snap and break. News of the manhunt for Darren was everywhere, including on an episode of the ever-popular America's Most Wanted. Law enforcement agencies received hundreds of tips from people saying they had spotted Darren in Miami, in Des Moines, Iowa. But they received two tips that seemed to be a bit more credible from two different people at the same resort in San Jose del Cabo, Mexico. Investigators had also learned that Darren had been there a year prior, so they hopped on a plane and headed there themselves. But Darren seemed to always be one step ahead of them, and so the search continued. Exactly one week after Darren left town, he contacted the Washoe County District Attorney, who happened to be a longtime family friend of his, and told him that he was a martyr for the father's rights movement and that he has to save hundreds of thousands of people who will be going through the same thing. He referred to it as, quote, little Nazi Germany in the divorce industry. He also claimed that he hadn't intended on killing the judge and that he wasn't the aggressor that day in the garage, that Charla was. But finally, he agreed to surrender to authorities. On June 22nd, 11 days after killing Charla and shooting Judge Weller, Darren turned himself into authorities in Puerto Vallarta. When he was taken into custody, investigators found that he had $36,000 in cash on him and a suitcase with bloody shoes and clothing inside. Later, when those items were tested, it was determined that the blood matched Charla's. Since the district attorney was a family friend of Darren's, a special prosecutor, Christopher Lolly, took over the case. Darren was pleading not guilty to both murder and attempted murder, which meant the case would likely go to trial. 
He hired two high-profile criminal defense attorneys, Scott Freeman from Reno and David Chesnoff from Las Vegas. Chesnoff had a list of notable clients under his belt, like Martha Stewart and Mike Tyson, and now Darren Mack. In September, prosecutors announced that they would not be seeking the death penalty, and his trial was set for October 1, 2007. He was facing life in prison if convicted. In his opening statements, the other prosecutor assigned to the case, Robert Daskus, said that this is a clear case of premeditated murder and attempted murder. He said that Darren had even made a list of the specific steps he would take in order to carry out his plans. Prosecutor Daskus recounted how on June 12, 2006, Darren ambushed his soon-to-be ex-wife Charla with a knife, saying that it was personal and that it wasn't sudden and it wasn't painless. He said that even though Darren was much bigger than Charla, she was five foot four and 120 pounds, while he was close to six feet and 200 pounds, she didn't go without a fight. He said Darren and Charla's divorce was contentious very early on, even before Judge Weller got involved. He said they had grown apart and decided to get divorced after 10 years. The next question is, who fired the bullet, he asked, pointing out that the common denominator between Charla and Judge Weller was Darren. That doesn't prove that he fired that shot, he said, but several other things will. Prosecutors played for the jury a part of that interview on YouTube where Darren went off about Judge Weller and how unfair he was. At one point in that interview, the interviewer remarks that someone in Darren's position would actually be better off killing his spouse than going through the legal system. And you can see Darren sort of nodding his head in agreement. In his opening statements, Darren's attorney, Scott Freeman, wasted no time in trying to skirt the blame off of Darren. He said when Darren and Charla met, he thought that he had hit the lottery with her. She was funny, smart, and beautiful. He wasn't aware of Charla's dark side and wasn't aware of her ability to be physically violent and abusive towards Darren. He said she would be kind and giving in public, but would then be violent and abusive at home, which was too much for Darren to take. Freeman held a rubber band in his hands, as he spoke about what happened the morning of June 12, 2006, using the rubber band to show how Darren had snapped. Charla arrived at Darren's home at about 9.15 a.m. and began to threaten him, which made the rubber band start to pull, he said. The name-calling from Charla began, and the, quote, terrorist split personality reared its evil head. He said the rubber band was pulling and demonstrated that with his hands. The fight escalated, and when Darren turned his back on her, Charla knocked him to the ground. The gun he was carrying fell out of his pocket. He said Charla was going to punch him on the left side of his face, but Darren got up and pushed her back. She stumbled backwards and stepped on the gun. She picked it up and aimed it at Darren. Freeman said Darren told her to give him the gun, saying that it was loaded. But he said Charla looked at the gun pulled the hammer back, smiled, and fired. And just like that, the rubber band breaks, he said. The gun had misfired, but Darren's worst fears were realized at that moment, he said. Charla was really going to kill him. He said Charla tried to pull the trigger again, and they started struggling over the gun. 
And then Darren plunged the knife into her neck and Charla's violence then stopped. It was self-defense, he said. Darren's other attorney, David Chesnoff, then spoke about the shooting of Judge Weller. He called Darren a soldier, a soldier for a just cause. That's how he sees this, he said. He told the jury that everything was happening on autopilot, which is consistent with someone suffering from delusions, which is what he said Darren was experiencing when he shot Judge Weller. He said that after Charla had put that gun in his face, he went into a delusional state of mind. One of Darren's delusions, he said, was that he thought that Charla had slept with Judge Weller. At least I hope that was a delusion, he said, adding that he would ask Judge Weller when he got up to testify. Did Judge Weller fuel Darren's delusions? You bet he did. He referenced Darren in the online interview where he says, quote, this is what they do to keep you quiet. They intimidate you with fear. They put all kinds of rules and things about keeping you quiet so that we don't come forward and fight this injustice. And no matter what it takes, it takes us having the courage to step up like our forefathers did in 1776 against the tyranny of England. Chesnoff said that interview shows a man who is clearly disturbed. Mr. Mack compared his fight in divorce court with the Revolutionary War. If that's not delusional, I don't know what is. He was basically comparing himself to Benjamin Franklin. Chesnoff then asked the jury to find Darren not guilty by reason of insanity for the attempted murder of Judge Weller. The prosecution's star witness was Judge Weller, who vividly described what had happened to him on the morning of June 12, 2006. He said he had just left the bench and was standing next to his desk in his chamber, talking to his assistant, when he heard a loud noise. He looked up at the window and saw that there was a large hole in it, and he had a burning sensation in the left side of his chest. He thought maybe his cell phone had exploded in his shirt pocket, but then he realized that he didn't have his cell phone in his shirt pocket. He was trying to figure out what had happened when it occurred to him that he had just been shot through the window, and so he threw himself down on the ground. He then crawled out of his office and yelled for someone to call his wife and get his family out of their home. His assistant hid under a desk to make the call and only later realized that she had bullet fragments in her neck and her hip. Judge Weller told the jury that he underwent surgery, got about 40 stitches, and still has bullet fragments in him. On cross-examination, Darren's lawyers accused Judge Weller of being unfair and of treating Darren differently. And then he was asked if he had ever slept with Charla. With this question, I do apologize, but I have an obligation to Mr. Mack to ask it. You hadn't been sleeping with Charla Mack, had you? No, sir. Okay, that would be crazy, right? Objection, Judge. Chesnoff asked that if Judge Weller knew that Darren was publicly defaming him, shouldn't he have removed himself from his case? And Judge Weller responded that no, insulting someone publicly isn't a reason to remove someone from the case. At one point, things got a little out of hand. I've never had my reputation attacked the way that you're attacking it, sir. It's unfair and it's unwarranted. Well, hold on now. Your Honor, I'm going to make a motion. I'm going to make a motion, Your Honor. I'm going to strike it. Ladies and gentlemen, you'll disregard that statement. Judge Weller, you know better than that. This isn't a forum for that. I'm sorry, Ask sir. another question. 
We'll continue with the rest of the trial testimony right after this quick break from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading more fun and discovering great new books easier than ever. Every month, they pour through hundreds of new books and select five new hardcover releases that are truly worth reading. You pick your favorite and they ship it to your door in a fun-to-open box. From there, it's time to curl up and get lost in a great story, then come back next month and do it all again. Book of the Month only sends you books you've chosen, and they make it easy to skip any month you want, so there's no need to get a book until you're ready. No matter how often you read, you'll save money on books you love with lower prices and free shipping. So head on over to bookofthemonth.com court to see their current selections and get your first book for just $9.99. That's bookofthemonth.com court to get your first book for just $9.99. Book of the Month, bound to delight. This episode is also brought to you by The Snowman, a new movie coming out that I just know you guys are gonna love because it's pretty much right up your alley. If you like terrifying thrillers like I do, you're not gonna wanna miss this one. Based on the worldwide bestseller by Joe Nesbo, The Snowman tells the story of two detectives investigating a sociopath who strikes his victims during the first snowfall of winter. I watched the trailer on YouTube which I'll link to in the show notes. And even the trailer makes me want to triple check that my doors are locked at night. The Snowman, only in theaters on October 20th. Darren's friend, Dan Osborne, also took the stand and told the jury what he saw on June 12th, 2006. He recounted how, as he and Erica were upstairs, he could hear his dog frantically barking downstairs. And when he went down there to check it out, Darren brushed past him with that weird look on his face and a towel wrapped around his hand. His dog was covered in blood. He said he knew something bad had happened and wanted to get Erica out of the house as soon as possible. An FBI agent testified about how he went to Puerto Vallarta after Darren had agreed to turn himself in. He said Darren told him that he had over $36,000 in cash inside of his suitcase and seemed to be very concerned over who would be watching over it. Prosecutor Robert Daskus displayed Darren's alleged to-do list on the screen before the jury and brought on a handwriting expert to testify. The list read, in part, Dan, take Erica to Joan, referencing his friend Dan Osborne taking Erica to her grandmother's house. End problem, which prosecutors said meant to end the problem that was his wife. Put Lex in garage slash lock home. Charla's car was a Lexus, and prosecutors said her car had been in the driveway when she had first pulled up, but had been moved into the garage after the killing. The next item on the list read, parking garage, if yes. This, prosecutors said, referred to the parking garage where he shot Judge Weller. And the final item on the list read, attorney office. The handwriting expert testified that Darren Mack did in fact write the list. And what's more, there was a tiny booger on the page, which came back as Darren being the source for that DNA. And there was more DNA evidence that tied Darren to Charla's murder. They found Charla's blood in the driveway, on the keys to her Lexus, 
with Darren's fingerprint on it, on her shoe, and on a towel on her body. There were also stains inside Darren's rented Ford Explorer, and also in the car was a Learn to Speak Spanish CD and a map to Judge Weller's house. Prosecutors showed the jury Judge Weller's bloody glasses and bullet fragments found in his office. After testimony from 30 witnesses, it was finally the defense's turn to present their case. But after the court had adjourned for the weekend, Darren and his attorneys came into the courtroom on that Monday with a change of plans. As to count one, murder of the first degree, how do you plead? As to the first count. Well, isn't that, I'm accepting the guilty plea. All right, so you plead guilty to count one? Yes, sir. All right, thank you. And as to count two, attempt murder with use of a deadly weapon, uh, my understanding is uh, that you're going to enter an Alford plea, at least as regard to the specific intent to kill. Is that correct? correct? Um, Guilty to the other aspects of that count? Yes. The Alford plea, for those who don't know, is a plea in which the defendant doesn't admit his guilt, but does admit that due to the evidence against him, a jury could reasonably find him guilty. So he was admitting to murdering Charla and admitting to shooting Judge Weller, but it was the intent of shooting the judge that he was not admitting to. He was maintaining that although he shot him, he didn't mean to kill him. Darren told Judge Herndon that he understood the plea agreement, had signed it, and that everything had been explained to him by his attorneys. Um, Before I accept your plea, I need to be satisfied that it's freely and voluntarily made, is it? Yes. Uh, Anyone force you or coerce you to get you to enter your pleas of guilty in Alfred this morning? No. Anyone make any promises to you other than those that are contained in the plea agreement in order to get you to plead guilty this morning? Any other promises? No. Okay, thank you. Um, I have before me the written plea agreement that appears to have your signature on uh, page six of the agreement. Did, is that your signature? Or excuse me, I'm sorry, page five of the agreement. What, I have one question, Your Honor, and yes. before I go any further with this. first? Huh? No, that's what the question I already asked you. Oh. I was, there was one extra promise, and I, it was informed to me that you, at my sentencing, that I'll have all the time I need, because there's some very important things I would like to share, because I've remained quiet through this whole thing, and now I would like to come forward and speak, and I was represented that I would have that with your honor. Absolutely. I'm going to probably set two days aside to consider sentencing, and you'll have the opportunity to speak on your own behalf and explain whatever it is you want to explain to me as well as your attorneys and the state have an opportunity to present whatever witnesses they want to come in and testify that are germane to issues for sentencing. So my family, people of that nature can come in and testify on my behalf? Yes. Thank you. He then admitted out loud in court to having murdered Charla, but he stopped short of saying that he attempted to kill Judge Weller. All right, um, as to count one, murder of the first degree, it's my understanding, Mr. Mack, that uh, on June 12th of 2006 in uh, Washoe County, state of Nevada, you willfully, feloniously, and without authority of law, stabbed Ed into the body of Charlotte Mack, causing her death. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, and that that was done with premeditation and deliberation. Is that correct? That's correct. All right. And as to count two, it's my understanding that on the 12th day of June 2006, within the county of Washoe, state of Nevada, 
that you uh, did uh, willfully, uh, unlawfully, and without authority of law, shoot at and into the body of Charles Weller with use of a deadly weapon to wit a firearm. Is that correct? Excuse me one second. Okay. Not, ad not addressing, I was not addressing the intent element right now, just that um, willfully, unlawfully, and without authority of law, you shot Judge Weller with a firearm. That's correct. Okay. Uh, on that date and within the confines of Washoe County, correct? That's correct. All right. As to the specific intent element on the, uh, the allegation that it was an attempt to kill Judge Weller, uh, what would the state intend to prove for the Alford plea? Um, on that aspect. Judge, what we uh, requested the court is that you uh, essentially incorporate into this plea the testimony presented thus far, okay. uh, including uh, the video we saw that was filmed about two weeks before the shooting in which Mr. Mack mentioned it was time to take a stand, that it was time to draw a line, and he specifically uh, mentioned Judge Weller and the problems he had in, in that courtroom. We're not acknowledging there were problems, simply that he, that he uttered those words. I would also add, Your Honor, that... Um, the intent to kill would be established by the fact that he used a 243 caliber cartridge and a 243 caliber rifle. Um, we would ask you to rely upon the testimony of Kevin Laddick, the firearms examiner, the expert. And I would also note that we, it was our intention in rebuttal to call a Lucian Haig, L-U-C-I-E-N-H-A-A-G, to the stand. He is a renowned firearms expert, and he would provide testimony regarding the velocity of that 243 caliber cartridge the fact that uh, the bullet entered double-pane glass and that certainly the defendant could not take those things into consideration and then suggest to the jury he didn't intend to kill. So we would call that witness in rebuttal. With that, Judge, we would ask the defense to acknowledge that those things would be sufficient for a jury to convict on the intent to kill component of that charge. Right. Mr. Chesnoff? As an officer of the court, I would say that that would be enough to prove beyond a reasonable doubt by a reasonable jury in the state of Nevada. All right. And then Darren had some closing comments for Judge Herndon. Yeah, one, one thing I wanted to just tell the court is that I do understand in my, right now in my state of mind that shooting at the judiciary is not the proper form of political redress. And also, I want one other thing I'd like to tell you is I would also like to, to let you know uh, that it through the process. It has been a privilege to watch due process in action, and I really appreciate Your Honor's integrity in performing a, a very high-integrity judicial process. It's been, even though it's, I have much at stake, it's been a, a pleasure to have somebody who really takes their job seriously. Judge Herndon set Darren's sentencing for January 2008. According to the deal, he would be receiving a life sentence with the possibility for parole after 20 years. But there was one more twist to this case, because just weeks after Darren pleaded guilty, he fired his attorneys and filed a motion to withdraw his pleas. A hearing on Darren's new motion was held on January 15, 2008. Darren had hired a new attorney, William Rutsis, who said that Darren was treated poorly at the Clark County Detention Center during his trial, which added to his stress and confusion when he changed his plea. He said Darren wasn't given enough water, had to wait long periods of time between meals, 
and couldn't get any sort of pain relief for a back problem he had, making it hard for him to think rationally. He also accused Darren's former attorneys, David Chesnoff and Scott Freeman, of, quote, using tactics that have no place in the court of law. He said that Chesnoff and Freeman had told Darren for more than a year that he would be acquitted at trial, but then did an about-face and pressured him to plead guilty after Darren's family had paid the final installment on their legal fees, which had amounted to $1.25 million. He also claimed that Darren told Freeman where he had thrown the knife used to kill Charla, along with the gun he said had misfired, but that Freeman refused to look for them. Darren alleged that the gun would have Charla's fingerprints on it and would prove that it had been misfired, supporting his self-defense argument. Now here comes the really interesting part, legally speaking. Because Darren was trying to blame his former attorneys, he waived his attorney-client privilege with them, meaning that they would be called to the stand to testify at the hearing. And just as an aside, this was Darren's choice. He knowingly waived his right and knew that they would be called to the stand. And what his former attorneys would say on the stand would give some very interesting insight on the way attorney-client relationships work. But first, the defense called a sergeant with the Washoe County Sheriff's Office to the stand, who helped transport Darren to and from his court appearances. He testified that Darren was quiet after his trial had ended and that he asked him if he was okay. Darren told him that he didn't want to talk, but that he didn't murder his wife. Darren's brother also testified, saying that on the Friday before the plea deal, he got a call from Darren's attorneys, telling him to bring family members to court on that Monday to visit with Darren before the trial started. He was told that Darren would be testifying then, and they could have a contact visit with him in order to calm him down. But when he arrived at the courthouse on that Monday morning, he said his brother and his attorneys were already in the courtroom. When he walked in, Darren told him, my defense team says I can't win. He said he requested to speak with Darren privately, but Chesnoff wouldn't allow it. When Chesnoff and Freeman finally took the stand, both men had a lot to say about what Darren had told them. Chesnoff told the court that Darren had been the one to insist on the split defense, the self-defense claim for Charla, and the insanity claim for the shooting of the judge. He said that he didn't think it was a smart thing to do, since Darren had admitted to going into the garage with a knife and gun in his pocket. He said Darren had told them that he felt as though the Constitution's Second Amendment justified shooting Judge Weller, but that they were concerned that if he were to take the stand, he would come off as a sociopath. And as for the guilty plea, he said Darren wanted to plead guilty and was told that he could change his mind at any time before pleading guilty in court. He also said they found out that Darren had tried to kill Charla before. He had expressed to you all that he previously thought about having Charla killed? Yes. And I also had discovery that he had solicited somebody to kill her. That discovery was in the form of police reports that said Darren had solicited someone in Clark County to kill Charla and a family court judge. And then Chesnoff told the court something else that Darren had told him, something that had made him sick to his stomach. Darren had told us that after he stabbed her, he put his knee on her head and she was gurgling. 
when he told that to us in preparing for his testimony, I got physically ill. Scott Freeman took the stand, too, and said that in their initial conversation about what had happened on June 12th, Darren never mentioned a gun. But in their second conversation, his story had evolved, this time with a gun involved. He also told the court that he did look for the gun, which Darren said he had thrown into a dumpster. But when Freeman went to look for it, there was no dumpster where Darren said it would be. Then Darren took the stand and reiterated to the court the points in his motion that Chesnoff and Freeman had coerced him into pleading guilty. He told Judge Herndon that he had lied to him when the judge had asked him if he understood the guilty pleas he was entering. Darren said he was broken down and needed help, which is why he had wanted to talk to his family beforehand, but Chesnoff forced him to sign the plea agreement before he could talk to them. Darren then said that he had been, quote, psychologically raped, saying that he had a whole new compassion for women who are raped now. It's not just the sex that's taken from them. It's their will, he said, calling it one of the most horrifying things. He said he didn't murder Charla and wouldn't have entered a guilty plea to murder one. He repeated the same story that his former attorney had made in his opening statement, that he had killed Charla in self-defense. He said when he asked Freeman to search for the gun he said had misfired, Freeman refused, telling him no because the knife he had killed Charla with would be along with it. Regarding the insanity defense for the shooting of Judge Weller, Darren told the court that he wasn't insane. On cross-examination, Special Prosecutor Christopher Lally asked Darren a hypothetical question. If he had seen Charla's attorney the morning of June 12th, would he have tried to shoot him as well? Darren responded that he had thought about it. But when asked if he had tried to hire someone to kill Charla and the judge before, he said no. Judge Herndon called Darren's motion to withdraw his pleas a request for a do-over and denied it. Afterwards, Prosecutor Christopher Lally spoke to reporters and said they had heard things in that hearing that they didn't know about before the case, things he said would be relevant at Darren's sentencing. At Darren's sentencing hearing, the prosecutors argued against Darren's self-defense claim, as well as his claim that he hadn't intended on killing Judge Weller. And they didn't shy away from using some of that testimony from the hearing to make their points. They said evidence of the to-do list shows premeditation, and the fact that Darren had admitted at the hearing that the thought had entered his mind to kill Charla's attorney if he had seen him that day proves that he wanted to kill Judge Weller. They said there was zero evidence that Charla had tried to kill him or had been abusive. Darren had testified that Charla had broken his finger once and that she was an expert in Taekwondo. Prosecutors said that had they continued with trial, they would have called her Taekwondo instructor to the stand, who would have testified that she had broken Darren's finger, but that it had been an accident while practicing and that they had all laughed about it at the time, that there was no malice there. They pointed out that Charla's head was almost severed and that he had moved her body and dragged her around on the floor. And at the hearing, they had heard how Darren said he had placed his knee on her neck as she was gasping for air. Darren had also shown no remorse for killing Charla or for shooting Judge Weller. In fact, when questioned, he methodically described what he did. 
They said Charla's family would never have her back, including Darren's daughter, who had lost her mom. Judge Weller's family wonders if he will return home from work each day, and Judge Weller's assistant has to sit in front of that window every day where the shooting occurred. Darren's defense team provided several character witnesses for Darren, a woman named Alicia who had been dating him, and Darren's mom, who called Charla a great mother and said that she had only learned about Charla's violence afterwards. But she said the prosecution has been insulting to Darren and said that he has admitted to killing her, but she can't believe it, knowing the type of person he is. She said he has never lied to her before, but that she knows he lied when he pleaded guilty. An attorney who had represented Darren in his first divorce said that Darren was in fact scared of Charla. He testified that Darren and Charla were seeing each other during that time, and that Darren told him after he had married her that he was afraid to go to sleep because he thought Charla might stick a knife in him. And Darren's 19-year-old son from his first marriage testified too, saying that his dad was under tremendous pressure from Judge Weller, saying that you have no idea how it feels to work your whole life and then due to an order by a corrupt judge, you can't send your kids to college. He said he loved his stepmom, but that he did see her smack him in the face at an airport once and that he had witnessed her scream at him and at others. He apologized to Charla's family, telling them he's sorry for their loss, but said they are in pain and just trying to find someone to blame. He said no one knows how it feels to know your dad is innocent, but to have to look at him through glass and to talk to him on the phone. He asked the judge to sentence his dad to the minimum sentence because he couldn't imagine going through life without him, his dad, his mentor, and his best buddy. Darren's brother testified too, saying that he had never seen Darren be violent. When it was Charla's family's turn, her brother and her mom took the stand. Her brother called her by her maiden name, saying that she should no longer be associated with the name Mac. Let him never again breathe the air of a free man, he told the judge. Let him forever remain caged until the day he dies. Charla's mom then went next. I was one of those lucky mothers to be best friends with my daughter. When the phone rings, I realize it will never again be Charla. Now an indulgent, cowardly man has interrupted our path of growth. This man who thought he knew a better plan, who decided to play God. And then Darren himself took the stand, as Judge Herndon had promised he could. Speaking for three hours, again insisting that it was self-defense, and tearfully describing his loss. But the thing you don't, a lot of people don't recognize is I lost a wife too. And even though that this happened, I still loved Charla. I just couldn't live with her and I was afraid of her. I don't, I don't even know that there's no words. Okay, I just wish that that day had never occurred. As Judge Herndon sentenced Darren, he pointed out that there was one thing in particular that he had been waiting for Darren to do, but that he never did. And despite all the time that I gave Mr. Mack to speak, and make no mistake, I let him go on to see in part if he would ever say what he never did. Despite that, he never said, I'm sorry. Judge Herndon ruled that Darren would be sentenced to life in prison, 
with the possibility of parole after 36 years. He said, quote, I feel you are not sorry, Mr. Mack. Saying I wish that had never happened doesn't remove your culpability. To not be able to express remorse for that when you have inflicted that type of pain is horrible. To not be able to express remorse is a dangerous thing. It deserves severe punishment in my mind. I commend the victims' families on how they persevered through these proceedings, for their dignity and respect through these proceedings and their conduct in this court of law. Mr. Mack, this sentence will speak to you for the error of your ways and how the system of checks and balances works in this court. Judge Herndon then addressed both Darren's and Charla's families and spoke to them about Erica, Charla and Darren's young daughter. He said, quote, I also want to say, with regard to Erica Mack, it seems there are two ways to go. You have a young child at a very impressionable age that will head into her teens. You can choose to raise her with fighting, or you can try and get past these cases and trials and be a bigger person and try and raise her with knowing the good things about both of her parents. She needs to be raised with hugs and love, not fighting. A child without a mother and a father is going to need a whole lot. And that's all for this episode. Today's show was supported by Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes discovering great new books easier than ever. Browse their five monthly selections and get your favorite shipped to your door in a fun-to-open box. Head on over to bookofthemonth.com court to see their current selections and get your first book for just $9.99. Book of the Month, bound to delight. I also want to thank Kat, one of my listeners, for recommending this case. And let me know what you think about the Darren Mack case by visiting my Facebook group at courtjunkie.com Facebook. You can also find me on Twitter at courtjunkiepod, on Instagram at courtjunkie, or you can email me at podcast at courtjunkie.com. And a couple announcements. If you want to support this podcast, or if you just hate the ads and want to listen ad-free, go to courtjunkie.com support, and that will redirect you to my Patreon page, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month and get access to early, ad-free Court Junkie episodes. A special thank you to some of my Patreon supporters, Melissa, Oniba, Nikki, Alyssa, and Megan. Thank you so much for your support. Also, some of you have been asking where you can get some Court Junkie merch, and I do have an online store up where you can get mugs, t-shirts, bags, and even some fun things like pillows, notebooks, and phone cases. Just go to courtjunkie.com store. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. <laughs>